Well, good morning, all shores. Would you stand and join us in singing?
Jesus, we offer you our everything today. Lord, our highs and our lows, the mountaintop and the valley, God, we just want to be present with you. God, remind us of who you are. God, remind us of your goodness towards us. God, that your will for us is good and perfect. Lord, we cling to that truth today. In Jesus' mighty name, we said amen. Let's continue our worship together this morning.
Continue declaring this out. You were providing, you are providing now. You are the same, you are the same. You moved in power, God moved in power. You are the same, God. You are the same. Almighty river, come fill 
You know, we firmly believe that the Holy Spirit dwells within. The moment you accept Christ as your Savior, that Holy Spirit fills. But the idea of asking Holy Spirit to fill us fresh and new, that's also consistent with Scripture, that God invites us to take new and deeper levels of surrender with Him. And just like the song that we just sang, you know, there are times where it's difficult for us to see or to feel that our surrounding circumstances can keep us from feeling like God is present. But I've just found in my own journey with the Lord that when I feel distant from Him, sometimes I just need to slow down, to stop and allow Holy Spirit to just meet me fresh and new. And I wanna give us some space and service to do that right now. And so whatever you might be carrying with you this morning, if you're in a place of celebration or joy or if you're in a place of sorrow or grief, I believe that Holy Spirit wants to meet you here today. He wants to meet each of us. So I'm going to just ask you to close your eyes right now. And just in your own way, invite Holy Spirit to meet you here today. That yes, He dwells within you. There are moments in time where Holy Spirit chooses to make himself known. And so, God, I pray, however you want to today, may we be reminded of your love. May we feel your tangible presence, God. And may we be filled again.
Amen. Not everything is worth our time, our energy, our investment. But there is one who's worthy of all of our praise and all of our attention this morning. And to, and to him, none of us are anonymous. All of us have been created in his image, and he knows where all of us are, what we're walking in with. And so as we go into prayer this morning, can I just encourage the church? Will you go into it with a posture ready to receive whatever God has for you today? That he can put something inside of you, just what you need, something you didn't have when you walked through these doors. So let's go to God to pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we look to you as the author and the finisher of our faith, the maker, the creator of everything that we see. Jesus, you died for every single one of us. You died for this world. And I just pray for all of us this morning that you would in your goodness and in your grace, not based on merit or anything we've achieved, but because of your great love for us, I pray that you would give us exactly what we need this morning to follow you. And we don't just pray for ourselves, but we pray for the church your bride, who you have placed on this earth in every corner of the globe to be your hands and feet. And we realize we're just one part of that, but we lift up the entirety of it this morning to you. God, even in our own community, would you, would you lift up other congregations like New Life Community Church here in our, in our town, in our zip code? God, would you be a blessing to them? Would you, would you be with them in the midst of them? Would you give them everything they need to love people in this community, to draw people to yourself? God, we also don't just lift up our neighborhood. We lift up the world, the world, Jesus, that you died for, that you love people in every corner of it. God, we lift up partners that we have like the Reynolds, Noah and Kennedy. God, we lift them up. They're so dear to us. We thank you for their, for their heart to serve you, for their love for people, how you're working in their midst and seeing people come to Christ for the first time. God, we celebrate what they're doing. God, we just pray that you would continue to open up doors for effective ministry, that you would use them to share the gospel with people who have never heard. And finally, God, we just pray for ourselves. Would you open up our hearts for the word that you have for us today? And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, 
Amen and amen. Well, if you're in the house, you can take a seat. So glad that you're here. My name's Evan. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I'm one of the pastors here, and we just celebrated something significant in the Hooksma household. We welcomed our fourth girl. I got the girl dad shirt to prove it. Come on, somebody. So excited to be back. It's so good to be with you. We love this church. We love being here. And I do just want to give a shout out to those of you who are new for the first time or for the first time in a long time. Come on, church. Can you show some love to our first time guests? We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you chose to make this a part of your weekend, and we hope you feel right at home. We'd love to get to know you, love to get to know your story, help in any way. The best way that we know how to do that is through our connection card, which there should be a connection card right in front of you, right in the seat back in front of you. And if you would, take some time throughout service today, fill this out. And then at the end of service, if you want to walk through our lobby and take it to our connection point, we have a gift that we would love to just put in your hands just to say thanks for being with us. And even if you're not new, if you're wanting to take a step in some way or be prayed for or, or figure something out, get connected to something, this is a great step. We'd encourage you to use that too. This is also the time in the service where we give back to God, recognizing ultimately that everything that we have is his. And as the church, we give a portion of that back because we believe that what we can do together is so much more than any of us could ever do alone. And so I just encourage you, if you want to join us in that this morning, we'd love for you to do that. The ways to give are on the screen behind me. There are also boxes attached to the wall for every door um, heading out. But we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your giving, for your sacrifice. We really do believe that, that we're making a difference in Jesus' name, both here locally and across the world. You picked a great day to be in church. We are starting a brand new series today. So why don't we turn our eyes to the screen for what comes next? Hey, All Shores, I'm so excited to let you know about our next worship night, which is Friday, November 10th at 6.30 p.m. It's gonna be an awesome night. And what I love about these nights is it's opportunity for us to just deepen our abiding with the Lord. And we get to do that in a corporate setting. We'll do that through prayer, worship, silence, and scripture. And I'm so excited too because I've got some friends coming to join us as well. It's going to be an awesome night, so make sure you mark your calendar. Hope to see you there. I want to welcome those joining us online and all of you here in the Spring Lake campus as well. We're just starting. It's a three-week series on a letter called Philemon. I'll get into that in a few minutes. But I want to invite you to pray in the quiet. We believe that it's not about persuasion or information. It's about revelation. And so you be honest with God where you are wanting to hear from him, where you are in connection to him, whether you're discovering, looking for, skeptical, growing, struggling, whatever it is. You pray in the quiet, and then I'll pray for us together.
I thank you that you reach out to us, that you speak to us, that you help us, you lead us, you love us. And so I'm simply asking you'd make yourself known to each person among us, whether looking to you, whether questioning, whether in relationship you'd speak. Lord, I pray anything that I have to say that's not of you, it will fall to the ground and be forgotten. But anything that is from you, anything you want to do, just directly, you speak, you lead, you move. I pray the words that I speak, the way we respond, and our hearts and actions would please you, our rock, and our redeemer. And everybody said? Amen. amen. In case you're new to church, when we say everybody said amen just means it's true. Otherwise, you're like, I have no idea why they're talking about a man. Why did they say amen is actually a phrase for it's true. In case you're confused, everybody laughs like, oh, no, we all know that. But sometimes we don't. So I want to take you back uh, just in terms of over the course of my life, there's lots of things that have changed. And I'm sure we would all have that. You look back and you, you'll hear about it first from your parents. You might hear things that have changed in their lifetime. And I think about it in my own life. In fact, I, was, I even asked at last service, you know, how many of you actually had an antenna for your TVs when you were growing up at some point in time? So curious. Some of you have that? Yep. Others are like, what is an antenna? Uh, then you have the whole thing when cable came, you had the little boxes that you could push buttons. And I was a remote control for my father. Pete, change the channel. Pete, turn it up. Pete, turn it down. He didn't quite say it like that, but that's how I remember it. So one of the things over the course of my life that I've observed, and this is particular to sports, but I think it has a broader application, is when I was younger, players would be aligned with a team and they would kind of stay there. And that changed over the course of my life. In particular, what we'd call free agency became more the norm. And I'm not suggesting that's a bad thing. I, I want you to consider how it came about. It came about most likely because players felt taken advantage of and they were now subject under the idea of being loyal. And so they started to look out for themselves. And free agency became the manner of which that happened. But I want you to consider it as a posture in life. Free agency basically asks, what do I need and how do I protect my interests and my needs? And then I want you to consider this other way of living, which we say is more communal and particularly more even a family pattern perhaps, is what do those around me need and how does my life contribute to the greater good? See the difference? And so as we're going to look, and I'll talk to you about Philemon in just a minute, the posture I want you to take, the question I want you to ask is, am I living my faith as a free agent? Or am I living as one who's part of something greater? Am I focused on what do I need or focused on how can I contribute? That's kind of a simple way to consider it. So having said that, we're going to look at this letter. It's called Philemon. And I'll, I'll give you just a little background before we get into it. Uh, there's two letters that Paul writes that kind of go alongside of each other. One's to the church in Colossae, and the other is particularly to a person there named Philemon. So I just want you to be clear, he's writing this one to a person individually, but it's meant for everyone to hear. It's kind of an open letter. So it's addressed to an individual. And, and what's funny to me is typically when we teach through something in Scripture, we read it as if it's written to us personally. What do I need to do for me and my relationship with Jesus? That's kind of how we read most things. And most of the scripture is written to us, and how do we collectively do this? And so maybe you'll like it, because Philemon's written to a person. You're like, oh, good, it's just about me. But I want to tell you, it's written with the intention to say he's all of us in some ways, 
and it's asking how do we contribute, it still asks a global question. You're going to be tempted to think about in terms of what does it mean for me instead of what would it mean if I lived like this. It's a very big difference, but it's very important. So having said that, we're, it's only, it's literally 25 verses, which if you don't know how verses are basically done, this is a pretty short letter. It's, you know, a matter of a page at most. And we're going to spend three weeks on it because there's a lot there. And so this first week, I want to tell you, we're going to look at kind of this underlying beauty and message of who Philemon is and his contribution and what that might mean for you and me. And I'll simply say it now, it'll be asking the question, are you going to be a free agent or are you going to be an owner and a partner, kind of as the simple difference. Next week, we're going to look at something that is really challenging and should challenge us in terms of an ask that Paul is going to make of him. And then the final week, we get to look at this unique sacrifice in the midst of it. So anyway, we're going to stay right here at the beginning of the letter. And as very common with letters, uh, the writer identifies himself. I'm just going to spend a little time explaining this because it's both powerful and interesting. So Paul, who's the writer, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, so those are the two writing it, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and then also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. So in case you don't know about Paul, and I, I want to clarify this, just because oftentimes we assume it, we do go through this regularly, and Paul's someone we know more likely if we've been around here. But again, Paul is also someone that we can take a lot from just in how he lived. So in case you don't know, Paul was born with the name Saul. Saul lived out being a Pharisee of Pharisees, the, a, a leader in the Jewish way, a religious leader on his merit of how he lived. He's also a Roman citizen. So Paul literally has all you'd want in both worlds of being a Jew and being a citizen of Rome. Like it's all working to his advantage. And he uses all of it in his life. Saul does when he's born this way. He has a revelatory moment as he's actually going out to try and take out these early followers of Jesus because he thinks they're a threat to his way. He's going to kill them. And Jesus literally shines a light, reveals himself, and he says, why are you persecuting me? Now, what's so significant, and it goes to this very statement at the beginning. Prisoner is related particularly to where he is right now, but he says he's of Christ Jesus. Paul gives up everything, both in his citizenship as a Roman and in his Jewish background because he says, all I want to be is Jesus's, and I don't need anything. I'm not loyal to anything else to try to advance my life. When he says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, it's not just a nice little tag on what he thinks or believes. It is the very fabric of whose he is and who is Lord. And in case you don't know, in the life of ancient Rome and all the surrounding areas, the only person who was Lord and Christ was Caesar. See, they would, Rome would let you have any gods you wanted as long as you also bowed to their way. And Paul's saying, nope, nobody gets to share it. Now, I, that alone, if you left with nothing else, I go, that's powerful. Because we live in a world that demands an awful lot of loyalty in an awful lot of places. And what Paul's saying is, all of that is nothing. I'm his. That's all I am. I'm his. That's who I'm here for. That's who I serve. And that, so it's a powerful statement at the beginning. Now, he, he notes that Timothy is with him. And I just like remind, reminding myself, so maybe it's more for me, of Timothy's background. So Timothy is from a city called Lystra. And what we know about this city, and most likely consider how he finally met Paul and became a follower of Jesus, is that Paul went to this city and uh, 
he's with Barnabas, and they see somebody uh, in the gate, and basically they've been lame their whole life. And it says, Paul saw them and saw that they had the faith to be healed. It's crazy. It's the only thing it tells us. It doesn't tell us what that meant. I don't know if he supernaturally could just tell, but he literally looks at the person and says, stand up on your feet. And the dude gets up. Spent his whole life unable to walk. People had to carry him to be in the public where he could beg. And in that moment, everything changes. And the public's response is to assume Paul and Barnabas are gods because they think there's lots of gods. So they just assume that. Paul's response, I just want you to picture, this is Timothy's, this is his first exposure to Christianity. They tear their clothes and say, no, 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 there's one God. That's Jesus. And they speak about God's being over everything and how they just didn't get it. And you'd think it would be exciting, but it tells us these Jews that didn't like what he was doing get basically win the crowd over, and they take Paul and they stone him to the point where he should die, but he survives. So I just want to stop for a minute and go, so Timothy's grounding into discovering Jesus is not I bowed my head and prayed a prayer. It's I saw something that I can't explain. I saw in the following an incredibly persecuting time if that's who God is and all of that, I'm following. And it's pretty profound, isn't it? I'm like, it's just cool. Going, that's his background. <laughs> I, do, I do think it's funny, and maybe you won't, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So Paul starts traveling with Timothy. Timothy's dad is a Gentile, and Timothy's mom is a Jew. So somewhere along the way, the dad decided you are not getting circumcised, which is what Jews do. So Paul, as he's trying to help and have Timothy help him reach people, though in some cities he would say, because they were trying to get people that weren't Jews to get circumcised. He goes, Tim, it's time to snip. You need to snip so that we can reach people better. I know that sounds very funny and weird, but you go, can you just imagine the poor guy's looking like, come on. I mean, stone me. Do something else. Just don't do this to me. Let's go raise someone up. And that's a sacrifice. It's just, it's weird, but it is profound. It's like, Timothy, what... We, we quote these verses. Paul says, I will be anything to all people that I can reach some. And he literally said to Timothy, to be things to the Jews, Jews you're going to have to do something that doesn't sound very fun. And as difficult as an adult. I, I just don't want you to miss it's a small thing, but it's significant in Timothy's honest journey to go, I will align with Jesus. And if this helps me have a voice with these people, I'll do it. I, 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 just, I want you to get a flavor for how significant this friendship is. Now it lists, Philemon is the center of the story, and we'll come back to that. He's a leader we know in the church in Colossae. These other people, some say that's his wife and son. Others say she's another leader, and he's another leader. Archippus is actually listed in Colossians. The only part I want you to recognize with this is, if you read through Paul's letters, he's always listing people. And most of the time when we read it, we're just like, I don't know how to say that name. And we quick move on, or we mumble. Have you ever had to read out loud? You're like... And, and then he said to Archippus, um, that's what I do when I don't know. I mumble and I put my hand over my mouth. So if you need a little help, that's what you do. We miss the fact that what Paul's doing is he's noting how many people are engaged in the life of Jesus as a community. Men and women, young and old. And guess what? All of them play a significant role. So they're examples of the fact that while Paul sees them, Jesus sees us. Every one of you, he sees and loves how he's made you to be part of this new thing he calls the church. That's the community of faith. 
he didn't make us to be free agents. He made us to be part of this team and family that live differently. And I go, that's just all this is, is a small picture of being exemplary of that. And he continues. And this is a centering statement. And this, by the way, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This you is plural. This is the only plural. Everything that's going to go on is going to be to Philemon. <laughs> being a pastor and being one whose official function is in the church, uh, when you finish anything from an email to a letter, you never write sincerely. Sincerely, Pete. With great thankfulness, Pete. But you write things that are spiritual. And I, I don't mean that dis, with the disingenuous, not disingenuous, but they can be shunned over like, and one of the things we often write is grace and peace. Shalom. Blessings. You're always trying to find something new so it's not like blah, blah, blah. The pastor wrote another dumb thing at the end of a letter that sounds spiritual. But to gloss over him saying grace and peace is a huge mess. What he's telling them, and I just want to explain it briefly because grace and peace are the, it's like a way to take all that has happened through Jesus and go, let me give you two words to get this. So grace and we, many of you who have been in the church can explain it. Grace is unmerited favor. It's the idea that God gives us something we don't deserve. That's true, but man, does that mess the guts of it. Grace is that in the places we really destroy our own lives and the lives of others and all that's around us, God comes to remedy that through his own incredible sacrifice. Jesus coming in the flesh is grace. God embodies humanity. He embodies the lowliness of us. He embodies the brokenness of us. He lives a difficult, painful, suffering, struggling life to be crucified so that we're not only forgiven but given new life. That is grace. And though I think many of us in the church can say it, living in it is so foreign to us. Because we can all vomit back the adage that Jesus dies for us and forgives us, but we live as if he didn't, and we either need to earn it or we're competing with each other to be better than others. We live as free agents, hoping we'll measure up and do enough. So when he says grace, it's the core of what we discover, which really in its essence is saying, I can't do anything on my own. You realize that's what we say. And I, I'm very aware you're all competent people. You can do lots on your own. So you may go, that's not true. But what that means is what I do on my own doesn't actually lead to anything of substance and meaning. It's a deterrent from what I actually get when I say I need you. When you realize the essence of who we are as Christians are people that go, God, I need you. I can't do it. I can't live into this. I can't love like this. I can't live out the things you actually made for me. And if left to my own, I bring destruction in different ways. Grace whew, is an amazing, powerful word for us. One of my favorite things uh, in one of Paul's letters is when he literally is writing to a group of people that have become the church in one of the cities. And he goes, listen, most of you, you weren't noble at birth. You didn't have pedigrees. You didn't have a family name. You're not highly learned, highly successful people. And he says, God chose the weak things in this world to shame the strong, the foolish things to shame the wise, the things of brokenness and unworkingness that shame those that think they do it on their own. And here's the beauty. 
that doesn't mean if you're intelligent or you've succeeded that you're bad. What it means is that doesn't mean anything. I hate to say it, but it doesn't. And sometimes our human success convolutes and confuses us to what grace really is. So what it is is learning that even the things I've done and have that are good don't mean anything. Grace is what God gives us, and man, I want to live in that. And then we move to the second word, peace. Peace is very simply the idea of having, we call it shalom. It's not the absence of strife. It's the fact that presence and things are made whole. In the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve brought sin in the world, though we all participate in that, their relationship with God is broken. Their relationship with each other is broken. Their relationships with others is broken. And our relationship to the very creation is broken. In other words, peace is messed up. And can we agree that has never been more true than it seems to be now? How fractured and broken we are with each other and how much more we now measure life by what we will break apart over, not what we come together from. And so when he says grace and peace, he's saying this thing that God did that we're grateful for. By the way, the response to grace is gratitude and living out of it in response. And peace means this is a group of people that were living in Colossae. It was a difficult time and a difficult place. And what they're discovering is peace in the difficulty, not peace from the difficulty. So much of our personal theology about God is if he's loving us, life will get easier and better and kind of be free of difficulty. And peace is in all of that. That's where it is, not outside of it or from it. That's crazy, but it's amazing when we live it. That's what he's inviting them. Hey, grace and peace to you from God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, centering on who God is as he begins it to all of you. Now, he moves to Philemon. When he says the yous now, it's all individual. I thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. As I was reflecting on this this week, I mean, I love the fact that Paul's beginning just going, he's hearing about Philemon's life from one individual and maybe others, and we'll get to that individual next week because who it is is kind of crazy when you consider the brokenness between Philemon and this other individual, that that's who Paul's probably hearing. What he's got is he's hearing about how Philemon's living with the people around him, and he's going, hey, I'm so thankful you are living this thing out. Now, I want to pause for just a minute because we live in a time when people have never been more distrusting of anything institutional, and the church is no exception. They see the hypocrisy outside of us all over the place. But what they need to see are people like Philemon. Because when you see the church actually be what it's supposed to be, it's the answer to the hypocrisy and the anger and the hostility and the other things people grab onto. In Colossae, they had they'd kind of dismissed who Jesus really was, and they were living all sorts of other ways or made a Jesus of their own. And Philemon was one of the many antidotes because you can't argue with a life that's lived differently. And that's what he's saying here. I love that. Man, I want us all to be like that. I want us to be the answer to when I hear somebody say, but look what the church is like. Look what those people are doing. I go, no, no, that's, that's not us. Don't you think the church and the world need an answer like that? Man, we do. The other part I just want to point out is he says, I thank 
God, every time I pray for you. And I was really struck by this. And it's a bit of personal conviction, and I'm going to put it on all of us because I, I don't think it's uncommon. We often will tell someone, we're going, hey, I'm praying, for, I'll pray for you. That's, a very, that's another Christian answer. Man, my life just fell apart. Hey, I will pray for you. And then we leave, and maybe we said it in that moment, but it may never come back again. Like, I, I'm not sure how prayerful we really are. And I don't mean this as a, you better hunker down and get more prayerful. I want to be honest about, are we prayerful? So in Paul's life, we know he prayed the, the, basically the hours that the Jews did. So that meant he prayed three times a day. And then we know this dude walked everywhere, and he walked lots of times. And he spent lots of times, even when he was working, sitting. He prayed a lot. So when he says, I thank my God, I thank the Father when I pray for you, he's saying, I do this regularly because you are on my heart and on my mind, and I care. And what it got me thinking about was, I want to pray out of actually being passionate, not out of obligation and not out of pretending. I mean, I will put things on lists and pray for them so I'm disciplined about it. But I want the heart to follow, God, do I care? So a lot of my prayer is, God, give me an actual heart for this person. Give me a heart for this situation. Help me understand that I'll have your heart. And I actually want to pray and give thanks. And I actually want to be someone that's reaching out. I, I was reflecting on this this week with all of the global cred that's going on. And there will be people that, they'll even tell us we need to do more in praying. And then there's people that are like, you need to be activistic. And I realized, if I really care about this stuff, I, will, I won't be able to not pray. Like, I want, it to, I want to have God's heart in the pain of what's going on with all this mess. Because it will call me to live and pray differently. And out of that, something different will happen. So it's a side note, it's not central to the text, but I was so grabbed by Paul's, when Paul goes, I'm, I'm, I give thanks, I pray for him, I'm like, that, I, that dude did it. I have no question. His passion and his heart was there. And he's telling us why. Man, I hear about your love for his people and your faith in Jesus. Those two are rooted together, in case you don't know. Can we agree we could never become the people of God on our own? Can, can we just agree we can't love each other the way Jesus invites us to? I'll, I'll agree to it. I can't love you the way Jesus calls me to. I, I don't think I can love those closest to me the way Jesus invites me to. So doesn't that put us at a place of needing grace? I hope the people closest to me, to those far away from my enemies to my friends, see something different because God is changing me that I can love out of faith differently. Like if we're going to be the people of God, partnering in what he's doing, we start with, I actually can't do this. <laughs> One of my worst pains when we see things that are convictional is it's basically, you're convicted, you better go work harder on this. And you go, man, I wish I knew how to do that. What I know to do is go, God, I want to work on this, but I'm going to confess to you, I don't even know how much I care. Would you just start with that? God, I want to change, but I don't know how much I can do. I'm like, Would you help me in that? Would you give me? Your... Like, those are the prayers I want to have. I want to become like this. And what he's saying is, Philemon, I see something in you that's unexplainable, and it's affecting the city of Colossae. Wow, that's awesome. That's what he's telling him. And he continues. And now he's going to give us a picture. You want to know what his prayer is? This is the prayer. I pray that your partnership with us in faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. I love this. He, he uses this word partnering. And it's a church word that you'll hear sometimes. That the word is koinonia. Uh, which is used also for fellowship. It's used for various different things. 
But in its essence, <laughs> what he's really just simply saying is that, Philemon, I'm praying that you will own this like we do. That you actually will care and you'll become one of God's people that wants to see others discover him, wants the church to be this loving community that's inexplainable, and that you'll grow in that. I'm praying you will own this with us. You already do, but I want more of that for you. That's the core, actually, of the letter, too. That's what he's asking for. But I'll run it back to you. Philemon is meant to be a person we look to and not say, well, I'm glad there should be some leaders that do that. I'll just kind of be a good citizen and I'll show up once in a while, a loose participant. What God wants is a whole church of Philemon's. People that go, I'm partnering with you, Jesus. I don't know what I bring and what I don't bring, but whatever it is, I am all in. And, and make no mistake, I am very aware we've never lived at a time where there's more mistrust of anything leading. And that's in the church too. People are looking for anything they can, and some things are even legitimate where we fail. But here's what I know. We, as your leaders, will do anything we can. We are trying to grow and be worthy of serving you. And we're saying we need Philemon's like you. Or Philomena's. I mean, I don't, whatever you want to make your name, it's all good to me. I'm just telling you, he's saying, I love your partnership. We're not looking for periodic participants. We're not looking for people who think it's a nice thing as long as they get something back from it. See, with Jesus, it's all or nothing. You in? Or are you kind of around? He said, man, I love your partnership. And I always think about it as owning and caring about what happens around or making sure it's working for me and I get what I need. Now, I want to be clear, that doesn't mean you get taken advantage of and those kinds of things. Those, it's not to the dis, dimension, kind of the dismissal of that, but the posture is different, right? When there's trust, you can live this way and you can long for it. I don't want to miss this last part when he says, deepen your understanding. <laughs> I found myself really reflecting on it. And you'll see as we get into next week, because he's going to ask more of him, which is like, I'm going to take you on a to task on this new deepening of your understanding in a minute. But what it means is you and I aren't, um, it's not information we fill up on and then we're done. Oh, I know who God is. I'm good. You realize that our lifetime is spent continuing to grow in our understanding, continue to learn, continue to find ways we don't know. And this is what hit me as I was reading this was, we all have blind spots, which means there's things we miss. Well, we all have things that we really struggle with because of our own circumstances. And then we all have other things we align to that we expect Jesus to fit within that too. And, and this has been one of my biggest aches in more recent times is oftentimes there are scriptural things and, and we will keep moving towards them, but it's hard for people to hear because they attach it to something else that they want to also be what it means to be a Christian. And quite honestly, they're not. There's a reason he said I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. It's because he's a prisoner of no one else. <laughs> There will never be in the life of the church something else that has to join alongside of him. And I go, the part for me is I want to be part of a community that can talk about things that may rattle us. But the question we're asking is what does Jesus say and what's the church to be? Nothing else. So part of this I love is because he's just going, I'm praying that it'll deepen. And it's, it's given me new hope. Like I'm going to be praying this for us too and for me as well. Are we willing to go where he goes and not attach all these other things to who he is that will keep us from it? 
Or worse yet, which is another, we kind of think there's a basic understanding and that's all we need. You realize you're continuing to discover more about yourself your whole life and about anyone around you your whole life. And to think that you'd know everything about Jesus and his people, come on. We don't even know everything about ourselves. And I will tell you, it's one of the biggest sadnesses is I actually think one of our eternal joys is continuing to discover who Jesus is more and more and more. I am never going to exhaust knowing who he is. And we're never going to exhaust knowing who we are. Don't you think we want to deepen that? That's the prayer he gives here. And then he finishes it in this section where he says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. It's really a, a simple thing kind of to ask us at the end here, which I think is so beautiful. But um, it, it's just the reality that the way he refreshed them wasn't just that he stood up and taught. It's not like he went, well, he refreshed them because he taught them from the scriptures and they all grew from it. But he did do that. It's also, though, that he loved people around him, that he walked in relationship with them, that he lived it out, that he loved people outside of their community, that he was helping to cultivate relations inside the community, that when there were people in need in the community, he was part of caring for that. When there were things that were breaking and relationships were breaking down, that's a way we show love too. Like what I love is he's saying, you refreshed these people. That's because someone came to Paul and said, I gotta tell you about Philemon and the way he has lived out loving and refreshing the people around him. Don't you think it's something we both learn and live? Like, that's what I love about his story. He didn't just know how to tell people what they're supposed to do or think. He lived from a dependent life that's led by the Spirit to love people differently. And the community began to change living that from the inside out. Wouldn't you like to be people that others say of you, man, you bring joy and encouragement to me because you are refreshing people around you. Tell me that's not the church that we want to become, the people we want to become. And that's just the beginning. I mean, I, I go, that's the beauty of this. It's rooted very simply, though, in being partners. And so I, just a couple of things as we begin today, and I told you it's two more weeks, we'll get into what I think is an unbelievable call to radical love and then sacrifice in the third week. But if you think about this, what now? I mean, it's very simply this. We, we need partners. Like, the invitation is always this way for us as a church. We're not looking for hired hands or people that kind of do things alongside of other things. We want people that go, Jesus, I'm his. And I'm going to be part of his together. Because there is no following Jesus just by yourself, in case you don't know. We're meant to be a community of faith. That's how Jesus made us, to be in relationship. So we need partners. We need people that go, I want to be, I'm going to be a Philemon or a Philomena, which I never said before today in this hour, but for some reason it's sticking with me. I'll come back to what that might look like. It, I'll, I'll tell you simply, if you don't know a next step for us, even what we're doing with the journey, which we do every week here, it's kind of a four-step thing. It's a four-week thing that just engages you. But it could be something as simple as I'm engaging in serving. I'm going to engage in the life of a community. I'm going to move towards being his in my own life and the life around me. The second thing, even if you're not ready for that, is just learning to get together. Uh, the, the statistics on isolation are growing dramatically since in the last four or five years. People are isolating more and more. And then the statistics on our kids in those generations are 
elevating dramatically from while they are immersed in constant connection through social media, their isolation and loneliness is going way up. Which, by the way, is, it's sad, but part of me goes, that's because it's not incarnational. It's not the church. You want to know how people, it's real relationship that gives people life and purpose. It's not virtual. It's not periodic. It's not telling each other what we think about everything. Oh, my goodness. We would be so much wiser if we just stopped telling each other what we think all the time. There's a wonderful, wonderful verse that says, even a fool sees, seems wise when he keeps his mouth shut. Like, you literally just want to go, let's, let's just all shut up. Let's let God work on that stuff and not vomit everything we think we need to. But move towards each other. Maybe that's a simple thing. Maybe it's moving towards each other that you, you see someone you kind of know and go, let's get coffee or let's get lunch. Maybe it's moving towards someone after a service. You go, let's, let's plan on something for lunch and have people over. Maybe it's a, an evening thing. Maybe it's moving a one-time deal that's just moving. Or maybe it's actually moving and I'm going to get engaged in some kind of community life with someone. But take steps towards other people. And I'll tell you even more to take steps towards people that aren't just like you. And then the last one is for anybody that's just searching today. What I love about being able to tell people about Jesus is the beauty of the overall picture. Just that, man, anything you're living for in your life that you know you'll never get to, the things that are broken in us that we all either strive from, hide from, or escape from, they're answered in God. Like, that's a great thing. I, I feel like a kid at Sunday school, I'm having all this problem, and the answer is Jesus. I feel like the, things that, the answer is Jesus. And it sounds silly, but it's not. Like, I love saying to people who are looking, I really think God's whispering and wants you to be part of this and part of knowing him. But the beauty is he doesn't say it's just you and him. He goes, I got a whole new family for you to be part of. A family that's called to live and love differently than any other one, that when they actually are led and lived, living through my spirit and my power and really facing things that are hard in that, it's unexplainable. You got to remember, in these cities, there were huge class system breaks down, all sorts of things, that when they came together, those were left at the door. Tell me that's not a mess. But man, what a beautiful mess. So I want to pray for us however you want to respond today, however God might be leading, but invite you to step some way towards him and towards us. Let's pray. So Lord, I ask that you would meet us. Now, I don't know what you want to say to anyone here particularly, but I pray you'll be raising up partners, people that really want to be like Philemon or women of that way as well. Lord, I pray you would help us to move toward each other when everything in us wants to move away. I ask you to help us more deeply understand grace and live in it and experience peace, even in the things we have such sharp disagreements about. And I do pray you will deepen in us everything we need to know about Jesus, that we would even give more good works to each other and live differently and love differently. Lead us to this end in your name. Amen. If you want to take a step, you can even just on those connection cards, put something down. The journey stuff is online if you want to see more about that. We always have places to serve and engage in community. And if you want to discover more, just on the back of the card, just write discover. I mean, make sure you put who's on it because we can't, I won't have that supernatural leader. Like, oh, sure, that was. But we'd love to help you as you're looking to know more. I want to invite you to stand. We try to give a little bit of space to worship and have communion as a means to invite God to continue to speak as we're
kind of processing and, and open to whatever he's saying. So let's worship together in response. Jesus, Jesus, precious Lord, none on the earth or heavens that I have found more beautiful. You are my treasure, my great. I just want to move your heart. It's all I want to do. I just want to stand in awe and pour my love on you, no matter how much love I freely give it all to you. Jesus, Jesus, my offering, all my ambition, my hopes, my dreams, and here's my life, a sacrifice, oh, just to bless you, I just want to seated just for a few minutes. We're going to celebrate what we say is a sacred rhythm, a sacred activity in communion. Hopefully when you came in, you got the cup, which has the bread in the top and the drink in the bottom. There's no obligation. We don't uh, require membership or an alignment of being Wesleyan. We just say if you're following Jesus or want to move towards him, we invite you to participate in this wonderful centering sacred activity. We literally relive and remember grace when we do this. And so I'll say this even before we, we get to the elements. I was, as we were singing, I'm thinking one of the things that can happen when we sing songs like I want this kind of passion for Jesus. I have all this passion. You're like, well, can I have communion if I don't have passion for Jesus? You bet you should. Do you think if you have more, he's going, well, you definitely get to have it. 
Nope. See, it's not about what we generate. We're his, whether we are passionate or dispassionate, whether we're trying to be close or struggling. And that's the beauty of, of grace and communion is we receive whatever is going on. Isn't that awesome? So we don't get elevated when we think we're more passionate and we don't get brought down when we don't think we are. We just come as we are when we receive. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He gave thanks. He said, this is my body and it is given for you, you individually and you together. We celebrate communion together because while we receive him on our own, we celebrate him and live in him together. Come on. That is the church. Let's take of the bread. In the same way he took the cup, he said, this is a new covenant. I am doing something new. God made promises much before, but Jesus became the fulfillment and the newness in all of them. Through his bloodshed, he says, there is forgiveness. He took the cup, he said, this is my blood given for you. My body poured out, my blood poured out for you. And we receive life and forgiveness. Let's take of that. So Lord, I pray grace over us now. And I pray a peace, not just for us individually, but even growing together in that. Continue to lead us now, Jesus. Amen. Let me have you stand. And we're going to sing the bridge and the rest of the song. And it's these, all these wonderful offerings. Like It's a fragrance. I pour it out. It's my words. I sing them to you. And again, I don't know if you'll feel that sentiment, if you'll actually value it, or if you'll be like, I want that, but I don't have it, or even struggle to. You just be honest with God. If you need to sing it as a help me be there, if you're singing out of passion, if you're singing it or not even ready to, just bring who you are to him and let him move. Let's worship together. Is it a fragrance? Then I'll pour my oil out. Is it a life laid down? Then here I give my vows. Is it a song I sing? Then here's every melody. Just tell me what moves you. Tell me what moves you. Is it a fragrance that I'll pour?
think we portray Jesus like he came because he had to, kind of as an obligation of sacrifice away from his nature and so that we could have what we do. I think it's actually the very heart and nature of God. The sacrificial love of God is the most powerful expression of who he is. And the crazy part is we're all fighting to have power and authority and control over lots of things. (laughs) And the way we find him is when we let go and surrender and we actually discover a part of his presence we can't discover outside of it. Like Paul says, I share in his sufferings. I'm like, oh no. But I think there's something about that when we share in the struggle and the letting go that's so freeing and it's so, it just, it grabs heaven and earth and moves them together. I love singing about pouring things out, not because I deeply want to necessarily in my mind, but I know when I go in that posture, I discover him. And I just want to say to us, I want us to grow in discovering that. Let me give you a blessing. Place your hands out. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with the Spirit. Oh, may he deepen in you who he is. May you live in grace and peace. May you become partners in this gospel and become the church he's made us to be as you depend and rely on him increasingly to bring glory to him and joy to us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.